Welcome back, podcast listeners. Episode 123 today, um, and we have an amazing story to tell today. Um, one of our close clients, and actually one of the first clients that I worked on, um, going back to when I was first started working with Tony and and working through doing all the administration work. So um, it's one I'm looking forward to listening to. It has a really powerful story, um, and Tony, I think I think it's going to really hit home for a lot of listeners. It is. Uh, so I'd like to introduce uh, Angelo Salvatore. So Angelo has been a client for several years now of the firm. Uh, he was referred by his accountants. Uh, we went and we had lunch together when we first met down one of those Italian clubs that Rob Conti, I think, was a past president of, Angelo. I think uh, he got you to pay, Tony, from memory. <laughs> Rob, Rob quite often <laughs> gets you to pay. He did the introduction <laughs> and got you to pay the bill. <laughs> yeah, that's Robert. He's a good accountant, isn't he? So I think Rob's adage is, if I can't close the tax deduction, Tony will pay. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you'll be listening to this, so there you go. It's um, uh, Angelo. We we you know you you were a uh, very busy uh, executive working in the industry slash uh, in the security slash IT industry uh, as well. But um, you're you know. Very good income, very high income earner, running a team, uh, lots of travel, lots of long hours, uh, married, uh, to one of the most supportive wives anyone could have, Amanda, and two beautiful young boys. And I remember once when we were doing the planning and, uh, I think it was, was it young Anthony who turned around and said he wants a Ferrari. So make sure pretty much, uh, dad, you do your job properly for dad because he wanted a Ferrari, not you. <laughs> uh, him. So I thought that was actually uh, very interesting. He, he had very high hopes of, uh, I think my answer was save hard. Uh, yeah. Save hard and any, anything's possible, but make sure you save hard. But, you know, they're um beautiful young family as well. So, Angelo, just a bit of, if you can share a bit of your background in respect to what your working life was like, you know, over the last, uh, probably not over the last 18 months, but obviously uh, prior to that, what, what did your normal month kind of look like in respect to hours and travel and all the rest of it? Yeah, so um, thanks for the introduction, Tony. Uh, look, you know, I had a typical, you know, IT job where you're not paid uh, by the hour, you're paid for results. And, you know, and management and the, the big the big corporation expect results to be delivered and excuses are, are something for somebody else in a in a different role, not for you. So you have to find answers continuously. And so, you know, it, it, can, it puts you in that uh, hamster wheel, as I call it, and you keep spinning faster and faster and hope that you find, you know, the, the answers that your corporation is driving you to find. And we were driven by numbers towards the end of my career. And, um, and, you know, and rightly so, you know, they expect a return on investment. And so I expanded my role out of Australia. So I did travel quite extensively in Australia, you know, interstate to Sydney and so on and so forth. But then my role moved over into Southeast Asia and, and Asia alike. And towards, you know, the latter part of, you know, the decade, I was working in India. So I'd spend a week a month traveling uh, to and from India um, as part of my role and then, uh, you know, traveling all around India while I was there. So, you know, I'd be sleeping when I would be supposed to be eating and eating when I was supposed to be sleeping and having crazy hours because of the time zone difference. And then you've got the cultural aspect of it where they start late and finish late. And so, you know, my life was, you know, really a bit of a, a tumble dryer of, um, you know, times and, 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 uh, and routine that, you know, I lost, you know, what you would have in a normal nine to five job. So it wouldn't be uncommon for me to, to be working, you know, 70 hours odd a week, 
um, you know, just to get things done. And, you know, people think that work is when you're actually doing something at a desk or talking to a client. But I kind of count the time that you're sitting in an airport lounge or, you know, waiting for your flight and getting on the flight and then checking through customs and all of that. That to me is work as well. So, you know, people think that traveling overseas as part of your job's glamorous and that lasts about two minutes and then you realize it's just like catching a big bus with wings with a lot of people that cough and sneeze on you for hours in a in a tube and you're all breathing the same air and in the days of COVID now you know that's not even a joke anymore but you know in in that time it's 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 one of those lifestyles that you kind of get caught up in because you know you're delivering the results you're getting the you know the endorphin hit and you're achieving what the company wants you to do and you think you're doing the right thing and you're getting remunerated um, pretty well for it too. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So by no means am I crying poor on this one here. And, and you know, and I achieved what I wanted to achieve, you know, in, in my role. And you have your ups and downs in any career. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you know, that took me away from my family to a certain degree. Not that I ever, you know, avoided them or didn't spend time with them. That was always part of what I did. But, you know, it was diced up as part of my time allocation you know so I'd say this is when I'm going to spend the time this is when I've got the time to do it um so you know that was um that was my life and uh and uh, you know quite busy and you know managing a team you know dealing with time zones continuously you know I never even when I was working from home or in the office I, I was starting at 10 and finishing at 10 because you know at that time India was five and a half hours behind so you know I have to be available do meetings meet clients you know, the benefit of technology allows us to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, I suppose from a travelling perspective, I, I don't mind necessarily getting on planes so much because for me it's just 15 hours of catching up on sleep. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, and I, I can sleep wonderfully on a plane. As yeah, I, I mastered that too. Yeah, yeah. I mastered so, that too. The one, the one flight I've been on with Tony, oh, I've been on two, sorry, or a few, but the one international one we started, it was 10 a.m., and he managed to hop on the plane and fall to sleep. I was like, you've just gotten up. <laughs> well, from Melbourne to LA. I did wake up for food, Jamie. <laughs> yes, right. so, I was you've just had a night's sleep. It's 10 a.m. How are you doing this? Yeah. 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 But I, I, I arrived in the U.S. very fresh. Uh, Jamie didn't. So as a result yeah. of that. So, yeah. yeah, and I must say that I never flew business class. So I was always flying economy. So, you know, I didn't have the luxury of a lay-down bed like you, Tony. So... No, um, if I, if I, if I, I brought Jamie, so I didn't get the luxury of a lay down bed either, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Boyana said, no, you don't get on the plane and, uh, turn left and Jamie turns right. You both sit with each other. She didn't get us premium economy though. <laughs> so, so the next so. conversation does Jamie need to come or is it all right if I go on my own? <laughs> yeah. yeah so I, I did say to Jamie though, he, his goal was, you know, he'd never, he always wanted to go to New York. So we were going from Chicago to New York. So I said, well, we'll fly Chicago to New York first class then. So it's, uh, I mean, f- first class in the US, you know, even LA to New York is basically no difference in economy price going from uh, Melbourne to Sydney. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, uh, I said, no, we've got luggage. We'll go first class. So it wasn't so bad, was it, Jamie? You arrived in New York first class in your suit and tie. That's right. Yeah, yeah so I, I, I remember we used to have our headquarters meetings in Denmark, um, you know, and uh, we used to fly from Melbourne to Denmark. And it's it's a real challenge to get to Denmark because there's not a lot of flights that actually land into Copenhagen. You have to stop somewhere. And yep. we had a conference that we had to go to and we got off the plane and we were waiting for the bus and they had a special bus organised for the staff. And it was at 35 hours since I left Melbourne. 
and was waiting for this bus. And the bus driver said, oh, we're waiting for the other group. They'll be here in about an hour's time. And um, and then we'll head off to where we're staying at our retreat. And I said, no, we're getting on the bus now. I've been waiting 35 <laughs> hours for this bus. You know, we were exhausted, you know, and you get really cranky after 35 hours of flying, you know, and waiting at airports. It's crazy. But that was that was the 30, life. Thirty five hours of flying for me is thirty hours of sleeping. That, that'd be fine. Oh, so, wow. so, yeah, so I, I usually only average about five and a half hours sleep a night. So I, I just make up for it every time I'm on planes. So it's not so bad. Now, Angelo, you yourself, Amanda, your family, being clients for as I said for several years, life is good. You're earning good money. Uh, we're always catching up, always have a laugh when we catch up with each other as well. Uh, yeah. I think things are tracking along really well. And then one afternoon, I received a phone call from you, uh, which always, always happily take, you know, if I'm not in a meeting. Um, and uh, you said to me, oh, listen, I've got Amanda on the line here too. And I have to admit, when that happened, unfortunately, I've been in this industry too long and had those conversations before. But would you like to talk about um, that that fateful day, that phone call to me? Yeah, it was... Um it was in between jobs, actually, and uh, I was supposed to start work in my new role because I'd left the role, the previous role, and um, and uh, we had COVID at the time, and so this is the first round of COVID, and I was supposed to go for a checkup because I just wasn't feeling well, and there'd been some preceding things going on, and I knew something wasn't right, so my doctor gave me a script to go and have a gastroscopy done, and then because of COVID, they closed down all the elective surgeries. And so I said, oh, okay, and the place was out in Ringwood somewhere and I just I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to get there with a five-kilometre limit anyway at the time. And so then um, months passed and then uh, then they said, yeah, COVID's more under control now. We're opening up surgeries. I rang my GP and said, look, you know, I wouldn't mind getting this test done. You know, I was supposed to get it done in January. It's now May. And he said, yep. I said, can you do it at the place, you know, which is closer to where I live? And so I did that. I went and had a, a gastroscopy and, you know, up until this point, I felt completely normal, healthy. I'm not a diabetic. I don't suffer high blood pressure. You know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the fittest person in the world, but I'm pretty strong. You know, I can do everything normally. I don't suffer arthritis. I don't have any family history of any diseases or anything like that. My parents are well into their 80s now, late 80s. And, you know, my, my dad went for a, a hernia operation the other day and the doctor said, put all your medicine on the table. And he says, I don't have it. He says, yeah, nice joke. He said, now put all your medicine on the table. He says, I'll take one aspirin a day. That's all I take. And so, you know, I kind of banked on that as my genetic makeup for being healthy for a long period of time, you know. And um, and so I went in for this gastroscopy and uh after, you know, they got me out of the sleep, he said, oh, he says, we've got all the photos in that angel. I said, oh, what is it? The doctor said it might be an inverted hernia or something. And he said, oh, no. He said, um, he says, you've got like an ulceration on your esophagus. And I said, oh, that's a bit weird. And I said, because um, I was having trouble swallowing a little bit. I had to wash it down with water. And um, I said, oh, what do you think it could be? And he said, well, he said, look, he says, 50-50, it could be cancer. And I thought, oh, wouldn't be cancer. I wouldn't get cancer. I'm not someone who'd get cancer. That's someone else's problem. You know, that was the the naivety of my thought process at the time. And um, and something says, cancer usually affects smokers, doesn't it? It can affect smokers. It can affect. Um, and from the research I've done, it can be generated by bacteria in the gut. Okay. It could be through um, eating um, a spi- a, a not spicy food, a cured meats, and so on. 
And so there's a number of different underlying causes, and it's quite big in Asia, apparently, you know, in Japan and China and so on and so forth. Um, so, it, because, but it, I mean, realistically, besides your travel, yeah, that, those boxes aren't really ticked for you that much. So, it's, no, uh, no. yeah, so, okay, so, so he said there could be a 50 50 chance. That's, yeah, I wasn't a drinker, I wasn't a smoker smoke or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, so yeah. I thought, oh, well, that, that applies to somebody else. And then, um, he said, look, he said, don't worry about it. He said, um, we'll send it off to the, send the biopsy off to the lab and we'll give you a call sometime late next week. And uh, the phone rang on the Monday afternoon, and it was the place that had done the the gastroscopy. And I said, "Oh, I said I thought you said you were going to call me at the end of the week." He said, "No." He said, "I fast tracked it just because I wasn't comfortable with it." He said, "Angela, I've got some bad news for you." He says, "Um, you've got esophageal cancer." And I said, "Oh." He said, "Oh, how bad is it?" He says, "Look," he said, "we've measured it. It's 2.5 centimeters." He says, "It's not not good." says, I'm going to refer you to a surgeon and an oncologist and you need to get this done straight away. And so um, I rang my uh, my oncologist and rang my surgeon and um, and they said, yeah, we need to look at this pretty much straight away. And I said to my uh, oncologist, I said, you know, tell me about this uh, this cancer. Is it you know, survivable? And he said, it's got a 5 to 15% survival rate. And I thought, holy moly. Um, you know, and so it's at that point that your life just tumbles around you. You just think. How do you, it was, uh, was Amanda with you when you had that telephone call? How do you have yeah. that? Because that, that was, they said that to you on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, because at the time I think it was still might have even been going through COVID, so appointments and that were a bit tough. Okay. Yep. So, um, so he said, you know, we need to start your chemotherapy pretty much straight away. So he booked me in the following week for the chemotherapy. So, Angela, from from an emotional perspective, obviously it's just hit you like a ton of, a ton of bricks. How do you have that conversation with your wife? Yeah, because you two, it's, you two are unbelievably close. It's beautiful to see. I know you've yeah. known each other forever as well. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. And so at that stage, there I. Yeah, it was really a challenge and I might get a little bit emotional here guys, but you know, the thing that the thing that I worked out pretty quickly was now this is no longer about me. My fate sealed. That was the mental position that I took and that now I had to do everything to make sure that, you know, when I left this world that I left it in as good a condition as I could leave it. Take care of all of those untied ends. And so when I spoke to my wife at the time and I explained to her what was going on, um, she was she was devastated, but she was supportive. You know, she was saying, "Oh, look, you know, we'll get through this." And typical, typically, what a partner would do. But I knew deep down inside that this was huge. This yeah. was huge, and there's no way that my life would ever return to the way it was before the phone call from from that um, from that uh, place where I had my gastroscopy done. And you know, after my gynecologist, my um, my uh, chemotherapist talk, and and so you know, he he said to me. Look, he says, we're just going to go through the process and do it. So I then changed my timeline of everything. So everything that you think about in life that you can do and the time that you have to do things, you just imagine compressing that down into three months. So you say, these are the things I want to do, and I just compressed everything down. So the first thing we did was call you because we had to get our financial bits in order, and I needed to make sure that um, you know my, my wife and kids were – all looked after from that perspective and thank goodness we had the insurance and you know I I begrudged paying it for so many years because it was so so much of an Im- 
impost on you know, your salary and paying this amount. And like any insurance, you know, Murphy's Law, you you don't need it until you stop paying it, right? And the irony of this was that, um, you know, and Jamie and I had this chat before, is that, you know, I reduced part of my policy in December because I thought, you know what, I'm as fit as a Mally Bull. There's nothing that's really going to get me. Why am I paying all this money? Well, funnily enough, you know. Longevity in the family, great genes, everything. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And I think, Tony, we even had this conversation about rejigging the insurances because I just thought, you know what, it's just not paying for me at the moment. And by luck, we only changed the trauma insurance and not the income protection insurance. We never got around to it because of COVID and everything else. Otherwise, I would have changed them both. And, you know, they say Murphy's Law strikes, right? Well, that was just a classic example of, yeah. of that. Yeah, no, it certainly is. So when you had that conversation with us, there's, I mean, one of the things that we always do, as you are well aware with uh, all of our clients, is we make sure their estate planning is set up because, you know, yes. we, as much as we hope the insurance is a complete waste of money and everyone's heard me say that a million times, uh, the fact is, is that one day, the, the two things in life are guaranteed, as I think Winston Churchill famously said, uh, death and taxes. You know, yeah. you'd paid enough taxes in your life. Um, but death was planned in 50 years time, not, uh, not now at your tender young age. So you're having that conversation where I still remember, um, the conversation vividly with yourself when the phone call came through. We, we do what we have to do. Um, and get it done as quickly as possible. Obviously, try to take everything off your hands. But I did have to have that conversation with you, which is always the tough one of, I knew, I knew the estate planning had been done. Uh, well, I knew we had referred to you to an estate planning lawyer. Um, and that, and you gave us permission just to go and check that and check the will, make sure, uh, which was all done. So those boxes ticked. The interesting part of it all, though, uh, Angelo, is that, as you said, your life just became a blur. You tried to work out, okay, the things I want to do, and I'm bringing that into three months now. How do you have that conversation with your two beautiful young sons as well, you and Amanda? Yeah, so it's kind of very difficult. But um, I um, I took the position was that I was you know, I, I, the sentence that came out of my my mouth was, you know, it is what it is. I can't change it. So we can dwell on it or we can move forward. And so me being a pretty driven person and, you know, I've faced adversity in my business career and challenges. You're also just, an extremely optimistic person too. I mean, you've got a wonderful yeah. sense of humour uh, yeah. and you, you actually also are a very optimistic person as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. to say it is what it is, that mm. that must have been very difficult as well. Yeah, and I remember having this conversation with my wife and I said, look, we'll do what we can. I'll stick around as long as I can. As long as in the time that I'm here, I do everything to make your life moving forward, um, you know, as, as, as easy as possible, you know, that I'm not leaving you anything that you need to worry about moving forward apart from the fact that, you know, I, I may not be here. And so, you know, so for me, it was very much a, I don't want you to worry about my mental state. I don't want you to worry about me. You've got enough on your plate to worry about. I'm going to deal with my own challenge in my own way, but not give you that burden of responsibility to worry about me. And so that's something that I've just had a bit of a knack for, and and, and I don't know why, 
is that the more pressure you put me under, the calmer I get. And so, you know, and, you know, I can get up on stage and, you know, I've done it a hundred times, talk to three or four, five hundred people just off the cuff without a script. You know, it doesn't bother me at all. You know, and that was part of what I did in a lot of the my career. And so, you know, this was just another challenge that I just had to face. And I kept strong. And even, Tony, when I was talking to you, you know, I, I don't know how I sounded, but, you know, in my own mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know. It's just I had to carry on, and I just said, you know, I I want, and then I, I thought about what legacy am I leaving behind. So I, then I thought I want to be the best father, the best husband that I can be for the time that I'm here, and that's still the hat that I wear today. Absolutely, that's still and the hat know, that I'll I wear just, today. I'll just um, take us down just another road here, just uh, briefly. Yeah. That that actually didn't end up being the worst news for you in respect to, you know. After the operation, it wasn't just, I think originally they were just going to remove half of your esophagus. Is that correct? So initially, yeah. So I was going to have um, a part of an esophagectomy, which, you know, they were going to remove part of the esophagus that uh, had the, the cancer in it. Um, and I'd gone through chemotherapy to shrink the tumour. Um, the good thing was that um, the tumour had shrunk. Um, but when they... Um, but when they did my last uh, PET scan and, and testing, they they saw that, you know, I was what they call stage 3A, which means that it had gone beyond the esophagus and now had gone into my lymph nodes. It had gone into some cells around my stomach. It had gone behind my spleen. Um, and so it showed up. And so so when I went out under the knife, I thought I was going in for um, a part of uh, my esophagus being removed and... Um, and then uh, we were going to be right and stitch it back up and I was going to come out. And ironically, I went to see, I had a test not long ago where I went to another gastroscopy, which I'll talk about later on, but I saw the anaesthetist who actually put me under for my original operation because he works together with my surgeon. And he says, I remember you. He says, you're my longest lasting patient under anaesthesia. And I said, what, what do you mean? He says, you were under for more than 12 hours Wow. He had me under anesthesia for 12 hours plus. He said, you know, we were there for full, a full-on day. And he said, uh, he, he think he calculated it out to 13 and a half, 14 hours I was on the operating table. Um, so, so this operation that was supposed to take, you know, four hours, five hours, and my wife was ringing the hospital finding out where the hell I was because I wasn't coming out of surgery because the surgeon hadn't rung ended up being, instead of them just removing part of my esophagus, they ended up removing my whole esophagus because they couldn't get the clearance that they needed because there were still some cancer cells. And, uh, you know, not to go into too much detail, but what they do is they, they trim off where they see the cancer in your esophagus and then they, they, they do what they call a freeze test and they take it away and they test to see if there's any cancerous cells. And they did the first freeze test and it came back positive. So they said, all right, we'll cut a little bit more off and it came back positive again. And so the the surgeon decided, you've been on the table now for so many hours, we can't keep this guy under for this long. And so they decided that in the interest of um, time and my survival rate, they took out my whole esophagus. So from the bottom of my voice box, my whole esophagus has gone. And so then what they did was they then took my, they call it an Ivor Lewis, so they take part of your stomach, um, the good part that wasn't 
you know, didn't have any cancer cells and they turn it into a bit of a tube and connect it to the bottom of your esophagus and then attach that to your, um, your small intestine. So my stomach, my stomach is actually vertical from my esophagus down, or it is my esophagus now, but where my esophagus would have been. And then they took out my spleen, they took out my gallbladder. And the funny thing is, is if you want to stitch up your esophagus to your, the bottom of your, your larynx or your throat there, the only way they can get in is through the back, through the back of your ribs. So they had to break open two of my ribs to get into the back of my, my uh, body. They collapsed my lung to get in so that they could get in from the back to stitch up my new esophagus, which is my old stomach, to the bottom of my um, my, my throat there so that I could then still live, uh, you know, a, a normal life, you know. And so, so yeah, so I had – and they took out something like 34 lymph nodes, um, you know, as part of that process as well. So the surgery was – I call it the ice cream scoop. They went in they went, they went in with a teaspoon and – Ended up going in with an ice cream scoop and just pulled everything out, and um, and so it was um, quite quite horrendous the first time round. So, and I don't know if I shared with you, but I had two surgeries. So yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, the that's I mean to hear you have esophagus cancer and to come out with no esophagus, um, your entire stomach or just half your stomach missing. So they, they took the stomach and turned it into what would be my esophagus. So they oh, kind of rolled it up, stitched it yep. together. And so I've got my stomach from the bottom of my throat down to my intestine. So it sits vertically. Oh. Angela, I remember you saying to me um, you know, very openly uh, that if you made it to Christmas, you saw that you saw that as an absolute bonus if you got to yep. have Christmas yeah. with the family, you saw that as an absolute bonus. Yes. We're now nearly at September, and you, to me, you're coming across as healthy as what you were when I first met you, and we had that pasta down at one uh, down at the Italian club. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about your life uh, today, from if, just to start with, uh, not your outlook, but your life today, from a health perspective? Number one the changes you had to make in your life, and you actually are now also back at work, I think, uh, three days a week. So That's do, you want, do, you want, do, you want, do you want to talk about that? So, And I think this is the thing that I always try to stress with people is living insurance is far more important than life insurance because of medical advances. We don't just die of things anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and you are... Uh, my dad, you, and other clients that we have as well, just such a, a testament to that, uh, you know, so the longevity that can actually come because of medical advances. So can you talk about the lifestyle changes you had to make, the emotional stuff, and then where where you are today? Yeah, yeah. So the Christmas you referred to was last Christmas. Yeah. So, you know, it's – um, and I thought, you know, oh, this it's exactly pretty much 12 months from today that I was – that I was in surgery. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost an anniversary and I had two because I had complications. So I had to go in a second time, as I mentioned. But, yeah. um, and I thought if I did make Christmas, that would be my achievement. And I wanted to, we, every year we go away to, um, into the country and we, we go to like a caravan park with the kids and they can run riot and have a bit of fun together. And that's always been my, 
end end cap to a year, and you know where I'd say my year is done now. It's a new year coming, and so that holiday at Christmas was kind of always symbolic of that for me. And so I use that same symbol to say, hey, if I make it to this this point, we've done okay, because I honestly didn't believe I was going to get there. I'd lost I'd lost a truckload of weight. Um, I'd lost a lot of my hair from the chemotherapy. I'd lost a lot of my muscle mass. Um, <clears throat> I was being fed through a tube. In actual fact, I probably had, I don't know, maybe a dozen tubes in me for a very long time, uh, you know, at least three or four weeks. And then even when I got home, I was still being fed through a tube. I had things in my arms and so on to, to pump chemotherapy in and all this sort of stuff. And so, you know, one of the things that I worked out was, you know, staying at home and just sitting on the couch and watching TV, you know, it, it, it allowed me to rest, which was the first part. but you know, your mental state starts to deteriorate as well. And so I'm just glad that I didn't have to worry about money. Yeah. That was the, the thing that I just didn't want to worry about. And, you know, Tony, we've had lots of conversations about income protection and, and you know, I listened to you tell me, you know, that Angela, when you get sick, you know, these are the things you don't want to think about. And you kind of dismiss it because you don't think it's going to be you. Yep. And and it's not you dismiss it because you don't believe it. It's just that you don't frame yourself in that position. But my wife was able to give up work for the six months to look after me, so she didn't have to go to work. So yep. then I had a full-time carer to look after me. Um, I had to um, go and buy a new bed because I can never sleep flat again. So I actually have to sleep upright because your esophagus um, is basically a tap that closes up and stops your stomach acid flowing back up your, your esophagus. So, um, you know, it, it, it's... Um, I have to sleep upright now. So I had to go buy a bed and I sleep in a totally different position. Um, you know, I wasn't able to sleep very well and so on. But, you know, I tried then to exercise. I tried then to get myself fit. I was continually tired, you know, late last year into the new year. You know, I, I, all I wanted to do was curl up and sleep. The chemotherapy takes it out of you. There's n- And, you know... And the employer that I was supposed to sign up for said to me, Angela, take some time to recover and then come back when you're feeling well. And so that was really nice that they'd offered that. But having the insurance in place allowed me to think about myself and say, what is my health like? What is my body like? Not what is my employer thinking on, am I going to keep my job? Am I going to make my next paycheck? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? And and so it just it gave me that peace of mind. It gave me that peace of mind that I didn't have to worry about and, and I could spend more family time with my wife and we could sit there and we could discuss things and we could sit and watch TV together and just be completely carefree. You know, if you had to add the financial stress on top of what I was going through, it would just, it, it would, I couldn't even fathom it because if, you know, and chemotherapy is one of those things that it changes the way you think. You can't concentrate you know, you you get fuzzy brain, and I used to tease my wife. I said, and I know what you were like when you were pregnant. Now, because you know, you know, the old, um, the old, uh, you know, and I'll put inverted commas. I don't want to offend anybody, but the old prego brain. You know, <laughs> she laughed because she says you're exactly like me when I was pregnant. And you know, you turn <laughs> off foods, and you, don't, you I couldn't stomach my favourite drink, which is coffee. You know, I love a coffee in the morning. I couldn't even breathe that in. And and when she would fry stuff, I'd have to leave the room. And and so very much the same symptoms. And so turning into this year, it came about February. 
I thought, you know what, I'm starting to feel better. You know, all of the symptoms are going away, and and by no means was I over my cancer battle, and not, I'm not even today. But um, I, I went to see my oncologist, and uh, he said, you know, we're going to do your blood tests and all of that, and and we're going to check to see that there's no cancer. And you know, by by miracle, I'm cancer free in February. And so I'm in remission. And so I saw him right on the form. Angelo is in remission. You might as well said I won the Olympic Games. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's how important that was. And so then I thought, well, what am I going to do now? I'm in remission. I'm not going to die tomorrow. You know, you know, and so what do I do? How do I plan my life? And I kind of, I related back to when I was, you know, working and doing my university degree is you're compressed on time. And so you try and get all of the things that you want to do or all of the things that you kind of ignore or put off and you compress them down. So I, I set out to be the best husband I could be, you know, the best father I could be, spend the time, you know, I, 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 you know, I look at what my wife does and I see if she's uncomfortable in something and I'll pick up the slack and I'll do something. And I just wanted to be around her for that because I thought, and you know, it's going to sound ridiculous, but I played my eulogy in my head, oh. right? And I said, what are people going to say about me when I'm not there? You know, what, what is the message that people can say? And I wanted at least my family to be able to say, hey, you know what? He was a good husband. He was a good father. He did the right thing by the family. You know, we've only got good things to say about him. Not, 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 you know, not through gritted teeth, but through genuine heartfelt sentiment. And I thought, well, here's my chance to do that. And I even did the same thing with my friends. You know, I reached out to all of my friends that I hadn't spoken to and even on Facebook, I messaged people and just checked in that they were okay. You know, people that I would normally not even spend the time because I was too busy in the, the hamster wheel, as I called it, of life, you know. And so I just slowed everything down. And the analogy that I give is it's a bit like going on a high-speed train. And if if you're just on the journey to go from point to point, you miss the scenery on the way. And that's, I think, the way I envisaged the way my life was. I was never uncomfortable what I was doing, but I missed out on the scenery. And so now I'm worried about making sure that I take in the scenery and I enjoy life for every moment that I've got because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in the line and to be terminal at some stage and we don't know where we are in that line. I just know that mine's probably a lot closer than anybody else's. And so I don't take any moment that I have for granted to look out the window of the passing train and to stop and smell the roses as people say and say, enjoy things, take notice of things, look at the detail, don't ignore things, make sure you listen attentively, be part of your partner's life, be part of your friend's life, make yourself available. You know, I ring my friends and say, do you need a hand? Can I help you with something? You know, because not that you were ever a bad person, but you just thought, you know what, I'm too busy and you become a little bit self-absorbed. And I think it's just the way we've been conditioned in this world that you get rewarded for doing things for a corporate job by money, by a pat on the back, by a, an award, and but you don't get that same pat on the back or reward for just being a dad. You know, it's expected. And so you get yourself into this psychological state of, you know, well, where's my next, you know, my next endorphin hit going to come from? And you don't mean to do it, but it's kind of the way it happens. Yeah, so, become addicted to it. Yeah, and so now I'm just living every moment, enjoying every day I wake up. Even brushing my teeth, I look in the mirror and say, hey, you know what, you're brushing your teeth today. You know, I couldn't brush my teeth a year ago. Yeah. yeah. It's something as simple as that. And so 
you know, and now, you know, I even today, you know, if we fast forward, um, I'm a lot stronger than I was. I'm mentally in a really good position because I was able to go back to work part-time. I rang my employer and said, look, I'm not 100%. And I'm still in a very big danger period. Um, do you mind if I come back part time? And so with the income protection insurance topping up my income, I don't have to worry about working part time. And so they've been good enough to extend it until December. The insurance company's been good enough to accept the fact of my condition and they're, they're supporting me. So I can get on living this life in a slower pace, taking the time to look out the window of that train and um, be able to be present for my family and my friends, and at the same time be working but not have to worry about doing 70 or 80 hours a week anymore, working within my limits and hopefully, you know, all going well, going towards my recovery because as of last month I'm still in remission and um, I'm doing okay. And if you had have asked me to put a million dollars down, I would have put put it on the wrong colour because I would have said I'm, I'm not going to be here in a year's time. But, you know, it's kind of like the cancer taught me how to live. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I do, um, and thank you for raising it, but I do stress the fact, and unfortunately through many years of experience and seeing uh, insurance where it's actually been most beneficial, when you get told that you've got a major health event that's about to occur, in your case cancer, the last thing you need in respect to the road to recovery is having to worry about um, money. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's the idea, and that's the idea obviously uh, towards it. And, but the way, the way Angela, you've totally changed. I mean, and, and you, as I said, you, you've always been the most optimistic, happy, fun, always got a joke, always make, make everyone laugh. Uh, Amanda always looks at you and tells you to shut up, but all, all good wives do that. <laughs> so, uh, but, but basically, it's a case of though the when we were last together, I think last month, uh, before the lockdown, anyway, uh, when we were last together, your how your whole outlook and demeanour was just sensational, absolutely sensational to see, and that's why you know you, you're sitting here talking to us today. Thank yeah. God, um, yeah. being able to share your story. So, um, I, I just want to. You know, the, the little things you've done now, the amount of research you did on esophagus cancer and everything else, uh, prior to your operations, after the operations, uh, the amount of reading you do now, as you said, actually spending more time with friends, family, your parents, your sister. Um, so doing, doing all those type of things, it's, you know, as they always say, just stop and smell the roses, um, you know, basically at times as well. The, the importance of that for your family, how have your family changed having dad um, also, you know, being around more and actually loving life more? And, and when I say not, never loved, not loved life, you always loved life, uh, you know, to, to you know, the, the greatest of levels. But you're actually now more with your kids and how have they changed also, and Amanda, and how have they changed more towards you as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've got two teenage kids, so I'm, I'm I'm competing with the technology at all times, right? So, <laughs> so um, so I have that battle. But you know, um, I've, I've never had a problem with the relationship with my kids and the, and the time I spend. It's just that I, in my own mind, I value the small things. And so, you know, I'm teaching them. You know, we always look back as as grown men, I guess you could say, and say, what did my father teach me? What you know? And you hear the the sayings. My father taught me that. 
ABC, you know, or whatever it is, and they've got a hundred things that you should know. And I thought, well, what have I taught my kids? Yeah. What have I shown them? What have, what legacy are they going to be able to say to their their kids? You know, if I'm here or not here, and say, you know, your grandfather used to say, and he always had this saying. So I was busy trying to work out how I'm going to be relevant in their life in the future, so that I'm always part of their memory. You know, and so and so my kids see me as me giving them a hard time, but what I'm doing is drumming in life lessons, right? So, <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> uh, Angela, I know the feeling. I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> Yep. So, so you know, and so you know, it was funny, funny. One of my kids said he must be feeling better. Mummy's lecturing us again. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, while I was ill, I wasn't, you know, I was just, I, I just didn't have the capacity. So my kids, you know, they, they they know that anything that they ask for, that they get, you know, they get all the support. And you know, I'm continually encouraging them and poking them, and prodding them as much as I can. But you know, as teenagers, they're going to have their own direction for a while, and then they'll work out that you probably were right in the beginning and then do a full 360, but they're still on that journey, you know. And, and as far as my wife's concerned, you know, we we just – it's the little things now, you know. Um, and, you know, it might even sound ridiculous that I'm saying this, but, you know, we, we you have a shower in the morning and you, you rip your towel off the shower rail and you stick it on the thing. You have your shower, you take take it off the peg, you dry yourself, you put your towel back and you leave the bathroom. Well, now what I do is when I leave the bathroom, I make sure the mat's in, in the right place for it and I put her towel on the peg so that when she goes into the shower, she doesn't have to go and get her own towel. And, you know, it sounds ridiculous me saying that, but it's just that's me saying I appreciate you. You know, yeah. I Every moment that we have, every little thing that I can do, it's just something little. You know, it doesn't have to be something big. And, you know, whereas in the past, I'm too busy and you just wouldn't focus on things like that. And so now my relationship with my wife is, you know, before, you know, at night when we go to bed, I, I hold her hand and I say, good night, sweetheart, I'll see you in the morning. And uh, and she says, yes, you bet we will. And I said, yeah, another day. And every morning I wake up, you know, I, 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 I turn to her and say, good morning, sweetheart. I said, guess what? I'm here. You know, it's another day. Every day is a blessing, you know. Not that it's Wednesday and it's hump day and, you know, there's only two more days to the weekend. And funny thing is, I remember one of my customers rang me up and he said to me, oh, Angela, he goes, I've had just a terrible Wednesday. You wouldn't believe it. He says, I can't wait till Thursday and Friday uh, are over so I can have the weekend. And I just part part of my language, I said, piss off. I said, that's two more days. (laughs) Because he didn't value those two days. I do. And so... And that's how I treat my relationship with my kids and my wife. And, you know, with lockdown, it's been a little bit difficult because we can't go anywhere. But we've been trying to plan to do a holiday and to go overseas. And, you know, I'll be turning 50 um, next year and my my wife will be turning 50. And my kids have got their 16 and 18th birthday. So we thought, well, we'll do something to celebrate those milestones, you know. But we're we're kind of locked down. So it's kind of put the brakes on that, but we still have that as an ambition to go away. And while I'm still healthy enough to do so, um, to do that, you know, but I think what's, if you had asked me the biggest thing that's changed um, over the last 12 months is I couldn't see past a week. So if you asked me to think about something in two weeks time, I couldn't think about it. So let alone plan for my life or my future. Someone would say, Oh, we should do that in next week. And I just thought, it didn't make it didn't compute for me um and so now i can see a, a greater time horizon i can see you know a year you know and it took time and i don't know if you could ever imagine living your life and not having a conversation beyond what happens in the next week you know and but that's and that's the the, the life that i was living for such a long time 
And, you know, and that was the hardest part. And so if your life is only a week long and, you know, you hear the old cliche, you know, what would you do if you're going to die in 24 hours? What would you do? But it's not until you're in that situation that you actually start to think about what would I do? You know, yeah. if your house is burning down, you know, they always say you take the photos. What would you do if you're going to die tomorrow? Yeah. And so, and so it's all the memories. It's cherishing everything that is valuable in your life. And it's family, it's friends, it's parents, it's sisters, it's, it's, it's everybody who's been there as part of your experience. And you just cherish that and you just want to make sure that they know that you are aware of how they've contributed to your life and that you've done the best to contribute to their life. Yeah. And you know, and, sorry, go on. No, and, and you just take that on a week by week basis and you keep repeating. Rinse and repeat. And so now my time horizon's changed, but my mental state is exactly the same. I don't know how long I've got. And so while I'm here, I just want to do the best I can by the people that are interact with me and that I touch, you know, and I don't waste time on drama. Or I don't waste time on things that are not relevant, you know, and I have people ringing me up wanting me to go down and protest for the coronavirus. I'm not interested, you know. I've got bigger things that are going to kill me tomorrow rather than, uh, you know, than that. Yeah. I'm I'm just happy that I'm alive. You know, and, and I'm enjoying. And Angelo, so are we, as, yeah. as per as per as per your family and everyone else, and anyone who knows you. So it's um, you know, it's 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 for you to have the courage to do this for us today. Uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You know, we, we've we've certainly um, you know, grown and built a really good relationship with each other over the last several years, but. Um, for you to be able to share that message with all the people who are going to listen to this today, I think that's really, really, really important. And the fact is, is that, and I'm not talking just about the insurance and what we do for clients here. I'm actually talking about stop and smell the roses. You know, it's um, actually appreciate the little things. Yeah, we just don't know how long we've got. No, we just don't know. And you know what? The only difference between me and the next person is I got a letter saying this is how long you've got. Yeah. Just because you don't have the letter doesn't mean you know. And, and I'm glad so, you and I'm glad you've ignored that letter, Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, you know, so far so good. Knock wood, knock wood. Uh, you know. And you and you're looking wonderful as well. Sorry, Jamie, you're going to say. Oh, yep. I just think, yeah, for me, I've just sat here with my mouth open the whole time uh, in awe. But I just think the message of positivity, just to say, you know, the little things and. And, you know, I think family and friends mean a lot to everyone. Um, and for you to take that time to, to make their lives easier and, and it's something I guess, yeah, I, I'm guilty of. Sometimes you get too busy and, you know, you forget to do things and, and just all those little things to make sure that people know that you do appreciate them. Yeah. 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 And it's not about the material things. It's not about the clothes no. you wear or the car you drive. No one cares. No yeah. one cares. And so for me, what's important is the things that do make a difference. Um, and, you know, and I, I don't want to go on this for too long, but, you know, I remember sitting in ICU, you know, I had, I had a nurse sitting in front of me, you know, the whole time and I was on a ventilator and I was struggling to breathe because I had a punctured lung that they, they had to do for the operation. And I thought at that time, I thought I was going to die and I thought, shit, what do I think about? What are the things that I haven't done? And do you know what didn't come up in my thought? Work my achievements, my goals, my getting my sales targets, hitting all of those milestones in a corporate world, they actually don't matter. And you need a a kind of like a thump in the back of the head like that to wake you up and say they don't matter. They're just part of an enabler that allows you to live the life as a good person, you know, and that that would be my, my message there. Angela, your message has been absolutely beautiful. As I said, 
I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I think uh, this message is going out to a lot of people. Yeah. For, you to, for you to be able to share it uh, with so many, and the fact is, is that you know, I, I as I know you are as well. I'm just so thankful that you ignored that date and that letter. Because uh, someone who's very driven to achieve goals and timelines, I'm glad you decided not to ignore this one. Um, yeah. Yeah, so as I'm sure everyone who knows you, as I know everyone who knows you, would be feel exactly the same way. So, Angelo, thank you so much from all of us, and I'll thank you on behalf of all of our listeners as well for sharing this sensational and amazing story. Thank you. Thank you again, and I hope that uh, my message helps other people look at their lives from a different perspective. Certainly will. Thank you. Cheers. Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co., which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.